Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, and welcome to this week's Roundtable, where we invite three of Washington's top political reporters to look back at the events of the past week, put things in context, and try to make some sense out of it all. This week was Coronavirus Week 3, the week almost everybody, starting with President Trump, started to take the crisis seriously and to take serious measures to deal with it. Forty states are now under stay-at-home orders. Hospitals are struggling to keep up with demand, the surge of new cases, and we're told the worst is still two weeks away. Meanwhile, 10 million Americans have filed for unemployment insurance in the last two weeks, and it'll still be two or three weeks before anybody receives their first relief check from the government. So how are we coping and where do we go from here? For insights and answers, let's turn to this week's panel, all practicing social distancing by joining us online, Addie Baird, congressional reporter for BuzzFeed. Hi, Addie. Hi, Bill. Good to see you online. Matt Gertz is senior. Thank you. Senior fellow for Media Matters. Hi, Matt. Good morning, Bill. Uh, uh, Lauren Burke joins us. Lauren Burke, of course, reporter for and writer for Black Press USA. Hi, Lauren. How are you? How are you doing? Good. So listen, we remembered it was just, believe it or not, three weeks ago that life was going on as normal. And yet here we are today, over a million cases of coronavirus reported worldwide, 245,000 of those, almost 25% in the United States, with over 6,000 dead in the United States so far. As I mentioned, 40 states have stay-in-place orders. And the mayor of New York yesterday said he once suggests that everybody going outside anywhere should be wearing a mask. So let me ask each of you, um, what does this say? Are we in control of this virus or is the virus in control of us right now? Addie, start us off. I think the virus is in control of us and we have control over some things that we can do to try and flatten the curve and stop the spread. We can record a podcast from our homes. Right. <laughs> we can, you know, avoid uh, going to the grocery store. We can distance ourselves six feet. We can maybe wear a face covering when we're going outside. But, you know, this is absolutely not something that the Trump administration or Congress has under control. Matt, it does seem, right, that every day we just watch the numbers go up, up, up. And we're going to see them going up, up, up for a long time to come. I mean, this is still the early stages. We're seeing a few uh, breakouts that are out of control right now, notably uh, in New York City, uh, that are reaching you know th- these sort of stages where uh, it is very, very obvious what is going on. 
Uh, but there are cases all over the country, and we're likely to see many more New Yorks in the days to come, and the situation in New York is going to get worse. Um, this is still uh, the early stages uh, of the fight against this virus, um, and it's not going to be going away anytime soon. What's your take, Lauren? Uh, my take on it is that, um, you know, we, we obviously are in a huge amount of trouble if something doesn't change in terms of a vaccine or a, something that takes the leverage off of uh, the problem, the obvious problem of if you get this virus, you become part of the healthcare system that is already overwhelmed in, in the largest city in our country. Um, I just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. One of the biggest pressure points of this entire situation is not knowing when it's going to end. And that, you know, creates a situation where nobody can plan for anything. And when you see close to 10 million people file for unemployment in only 15 days, it is it is absolutely scary because I think it sets off a spiral for the economy that really leads us to a depression. So I, you know, I do think obviously the virus is in control is uh Governor Cuomo has said several times we've been behind. It's been ahead of us uh, the entire time, uh, primarily because our president can't read his intel reports and wants to talk about vaping. So here we are. But um, it's it's a situation that is extremely scary, to say the least. Well, you raise the issue. Um, I want to talk about Congress's role in this, but there's also the role of the administration and the role of the governors. Uh, let's start with the president and the administration. Um I think it's fair to say that the response has been mixed, if not confused, at best, coming from the White House, and we see in the daily briefings. Matt, what's your take on these daily briefings? Uh, Are we learning anything? Well, we're learning uh, that the president really enjoys doing the briefings. Um, <laughs> I, I think, yes, but that they are, I would say, uh, not a good way for the public to be getting information about the virus. I think, uh, you know, we saw a pretty good step uh, yesterday where all three of the cable networks had taken had had dropped the feed before. Uh, the briefing ended yesterday, so there's there's starting to be an understanding, I think, at at, uh, at the networks that um, the president is going to use these uh, briefings to present sort of vaporware ideas uh, that never really seem to pan out, um, and that uh, he's going to use them to misinform the public about uh, the spread of the disease, uh, and so they're they're starting to back off. Uh, the practice that they had been doing of taking them in full um, and yeah. you know, misinforming their audiences. But, you know, Lauren, I've been to uh, several of these briefings before. Basically, the briefings were shut down, uh, except for the immediate pool because of the fears of the coronavirus spreading in the briefing room. Uh, and, you know, I've been there when the, when the president says almost every day, we're testing more people than any country ever did. You know, we're better prepared than any country ever has. The hospital's have all the equipment they need. In fact, some people are stealing masks. That's the problem. Um, it, it's almost like another campaign rally every day. Well, it's uh, it's the Donald Trump show every day at 530. That's what it is. And he knows that. He knows that he has the, in, in most cases, the attention of the cable networks and that they'll be covering him. Uh, he can sort of sneak in any messaging that he wants. He did do a good job the other day, primarily because Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks were standing there with regard to the uh, the best case scenario estimate 
I mean, his tone was right with the 100,000 possible deaths that we could have as a result of this. But of course, he followed that up as usual with the nonsense of coming out and announcing a major drug counter-narcotics operation, which of course had nothing to do with anything other than him wanting to squash the news that a thousand people had died in one day uh, two days ago. So he uses it as a PR game. The guy is very good at PR. The president is very good at PR. And, um, you know, so it goes back and forth. Thankfully, there are other people out there. The vice president, I think, has done very well, Vice President Pence. Uh, obviously, Dr. Fauci has done very well. But you can see that every time the president gets to the mic, he views this as a PR problem or a thing that's going to hurt him in November and not fully as a medical crisis or or an economic crisis. Uh, in fact, Addy, before you jump in, let me uh, let's. So here's the president at a briefing a couple of days ago um, talking about what great ratings he's getting, not just on the cable networks, but on Facebook. Did you know I was number one on Facebook? And I just found out I'm number one on Facebook. I thought that was very nice for whatever it means. No, it represents something. Yeah, there he is. Number one on Facebook, Eddie. Is that what it's all about? For him? Yes, literally. <laughs> that's all. Uh, that's what it's all about. And, and you know, like Matt said, it really is the, the Trump show every day. And he comes out and he really enjoys doing he loves doing it like Lauren said as well it's very um it is he loves coming out there these briefings have been running up to two hours he takes questions from all sorts of reporters he's taking he has um OANN in there every day asking just like absolutely bonkers racist questions like it isn't um news really it's a Trump rally Mm -hmm. By the way, ONN, I must point out, has been now thrown out of the briefing room by the White House Correspondents Association because they do not have an assigned seat in the briefing room. And everybody like myself who does not have an assigned seat has been asked not to show up in order to protect their colleagues. Uh, and the ONN reporter showed up twice anyhow, re just basically ignored uh, that advice, and consequently, they've been banned from the briefing room. So, there was some but, action taken there. But she's still showing up, uh, even she's after like the ban. She's, the got, a, yeah, she's uh, got a personal invitation from uh, Stephanie Grissom, the uh, 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 White press secretary. I didn't uh, realize that. Yeah. And is uh, you know, I, I think the the news yesterday was that the White House Correspondents Association was asking that if if that was the uh, imprimatur on which she was coming to the briefings if she should uh sit with the uh the white house <laughs> staff uh but she didn't do that either she she apparently she was in the the back of the room uh you know violating social distancing so uh i didn't know that i'm not surprised to learn it i figured that the white house would extend to her a personal uh, invitation like they seem to have extended a personal invitation to sean spicer to come back as well um so we go from the administration to the governor's response, um, quite a contrast, particularly, Lauren, with uh, Andrew Cuomo, who does his daily show every day at about 1130. Yeah, I think that uh, obviously Andrew Cuomo has uh, come out of this as one of the there aren't too many, quote, winners, obviously, but certainly he has been one of them just because of his queer, blunt communication of what's going on. He, of course, has to play the dance with the White House of not hitting them over the head too much, but at the same time praising them when, you know, when praise is due. 
Uh, we do see also Gavin Newsom is having a fairly good uh, relationship with the White House. That's interesting to watch. And I think the other, the third governor that I would cite is Larry Hogan as somebody mm-hmm. who has just been very direct in communicating what's going on and very decisive in his uh, in his decision making. And obviously for Cuomo, the decisiveness is born out of reality uh, because the numbers in New York, I think they're at 1,500 uh, fatalities right now, um, are incredible. And of course, the governor's own brother has been, uh, has uh, the virus as well. So, um, you know, I, I think that moving forward, I, we did see an extraordinary exchange yesterday with the correspondent of CBS with, um, in the briefing room with regard to how exactly uh, ventilators and other PPE equipment is moving, uh, apparently through the private sector. Uh, and so that is, uh, that's going to be probably something that'll come up today, I suspect. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Larry Hogan because it has been, I think, uh, the governors uh, across the board, Republican and Democrat, have really stepped up to the plate here. Uh, right. And in many ways, the president pushes them to, wants them to, because they can take some direct action that actually end up making him look better. But it's been Democrat Jay Inslee of Washington State, Gavin Newsom of California, Mike DeWine, Republican of Ohio, Larry Hogan. Uh, Republican of um, of Maryland and and other Republican governors, not all of them, however, uh, in Georgia, uh, they seem to be a little behind the curve. Here is a Georgia governor who finally this week issued a stay-at-home order because he said he just learned something. The reason I'm taking this action is finding out that this virus is now transmitting before people see signs. So, well, we didn't know that until the last 24 hours. They didn't know until the last 24 hours that you could have the virus and not show signs of it. Addie, I guess things are different in Georgia, huh? I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I feel like I want to be careful, you know, because <laughs> you don't want to generalize by, um, by geography. But we also just recently saw Ron DeSantis in Florida um, pushing for a stay-at-home order, um, which he really hesitated to do. Um, and, and it took him a while as well. Um, one thing I will note, um, the governor who's gotten the most attention, like you mentioned, is Andrew Cuomo, who does his show in the mornings. Um, and that's the only way that many of us mark our days is with Cuomo at 1130 and Trump at five. But um, I, I will just note, you know, at the same time that, that Cuomo is really putting himself out there, he's in the media constantly, he is still pursuing cuts to Medicaid in the state's budget and, um, excuse me, Medicare in the state's, in the state's mm-hmm. budget. And I just think that's, a, that's an important thing to note, that what's going on behind the scenes in New York doesn't really match up with the image that he is putting out um, uh, you know, in front of the media every day. Uh, Andrew Cuomo is a fascinating man with a long history, and uh, it shouldn't be swept under the rug just because he has been um, the face of a, a more successful coronavirus response. A uh, uh, good point, and I've seen some reporters are starting to to report that, uh, particularly in the New York in the New York press. So, Matt, before we move on, uh, uh, these briefings. There is a question about whether or not the network should be even carrying them. We know the New York Times and the Washington Post don't even send a reporter anymore because they say they're just basically pep rallies. Um, But they are president. That's the president of the United States, right? 
Can the networks not, or at least the cables, not cover these? Should they be covering the briefings every day? I mean, I, I think that uh, the idea that all presidential statements need to be covered in full live is a fairly new phenomenon and one, not, one that was not uh, always uh, carried on during the Obama administration. Um, you know, I think uh, reporters should uh, watch them. Um, but they don't need to be taken live by the networks. They can they can be turned into packaged reports based on what news, if any, comes out of them. Uh, I do think there's sort of a there's a parallel problem here, right? Because on the one hand, uh, the uh, viewers are going to be um, are not going to uh, get accurate facts if they're watching these in full. On the other hand, there's no real way to properly summarize the total bonkers insanity of these uh, pr- uh, press briefings uh, in shorter reports. So something's going to be lost either way. I would err on the side uh, of uh, trying to pull out the news on the back end rather than showing everyone uh, the, the chaos uh, in real time. Right. And and as you pointed out, the, even the cables are starting to pull away before the very end of the uh, of of the briefing. Now let's take a look at uh, the response of Congress. Addie, this is your territory. Uh, this week we saw uh, the Senate moving, then the House, and the President signing uh, stimulus package number three, two point two trillion trillion, the biggest spending bill ever. Um, how soon do we see the checks? So the White House says it will be a matter of weeks, not months, um, but it is not completely clear yet. Um, the the House and Senate are supposed to soon be diving into a fourth stimulus package. Um, Pelosi says that she thinks that um, the first one, which was led more by the House, the second one led more by the Senate, um, you know, or sorry, the second one led more by the House, third one led more by right. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. <laughs> At any rate, Pelosi has said that she thinks the fourth one should be led by leadership in both chambers in both parties. Um, some Democrats are pushing for a focus on urban and suburban areas in this fourth stimulus. Um, but a lot of things are still up in the air. Congress is uh, not coming back until mid-April, and there's no way for them to vote remotely yet. Um, last time the Senate met, all of these septuagenarians violated social distancing. Um, and so, you know... <laughs> Who's to say uh, what comes next (laughs) on the Hill? Right. But even, Lauren, on this first bill, um, we are recording today um, on April 3rd, correct, Uh, at about 8.30 a.m. But April 1 was when, for the first time, these people who lost their jobs because of coronavirus, they had rent checks due, right? They got their mortgage due. They got to buy food for the family. We've seen these long, long lines at at, the... at food banks. How is this even stimulus number three, Lauren, 2.2 trillion going to do the job? Uh, it will, you know, obviously it's a start. And, you know, as Addie just said, there's discussion already underway about a second uh, cause of uh, action on, on spending. But uh, obviously the allocations are, uh, <laughs> are probably going to require that when you give $500 billion to big corporations and uh, you only give $153 billion to uh, public health, uh, that's probably a 
a problem to say the least. But of course, some of this is contingent on how, how long this goes and nobody knows the answer to that. But there was, of course, uh, the Democratic members of the Democratic Party it brought up the problem of, you know, uh, yes, we're giving checks to people, but how far is that going to take them given mm-hmm. that the yeah. rent is due? But now a few of the, uh, of the uh, discussions that have been had have been, particularly in New York, the suspension of evictions is effectively a rent freeze because if you can't evict anybody and they're not required to pay the rent, then that sort of sort of took care of that. And somebody who takes care of a property in New York, I would just say that, um, you know, there have been a lot of actions with regard to utility companies effectively uh, giving people a break for the month, you know, and uh, not not being heavy on you've got to pay us on the first, you've got to pay us on the first or the date due. So that's been a big help. Now, that, of course, is not national. This is all, you know, state and federal, uh, state and local. But mm-hmm. um, it seems to me that to answer your question, obviously, we're going to need a little bit more, unfortunately, than the two trillion you know, it's it's a budget buster for everybody these days. Some of the states, like Virginia, do have a rainy day fund of a few, few billion. But for most states, this is going to be a huge hit. A lot of people are going to be in deficit spending if this goes on for 60 to 90 days. They're in deficit spending now. But but if it goes on for a really substantial amount of time, it's, it's going to really require some more uh, federal spending, federal help. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, we should point out that uh, Speaker Pelosi has uh, announced that she's going to create a special committee on oversight of the uh, stimulus package led by the committee, led by Congressman the Whip, James Clyburn of South Carolina, to make sure that the money goes where it's supposed to go, uh, uh, as laid out uh, in the bill. Um, before we move into politics of the day, I, I'd love to get each of your take on so we saw the captain of an aircraft carrier this week warn that uh, in those close quarters, about 100 of his sailors had come down with the corona, or had shown symptoms of the coronavirus, uh, and he was requesting that they be able to pull into port and all the, everybody be able to get off the ship uh, just to protect themselves. And the damn guy was fired. <laughs> um does this remind you maybe of that Chinese doctor who was the first to warn about the coronavirus in China and was um, relieved of his duties and later died of the virus? Can anybody, I guess, can anybody defend what the Navy did in this case? No, uh, and obviously no one can defend it because it's completely out of pocket and ridiculous that uh, was Captain Brett Crozier uh, was was fired for effectively protecting his sailors. And, yeah. uh, you know, my only hope is that Biden becomes president and gives him the Medal of Freedom or a Silver Star <laughs> or something. But, uh, it, you know, it's the behavior of the Trump administration that anyone that is, is saying something critical of what the administration, or, or I should say revealing facts that the administration doesn't want revealed, uh, is is relieved of their duties. This is a Trump hallmark. This is a hallmark of his administration to try to hide facts and hide bad news. Uh, and the man who relieved him of his command, Matt, says he he had no instructions at all from the White House or from the Defense Secretary. Oh, of course not. Yeah, if the captain wanted help from this White House, he should have done some war crimes. That's how you <laughs> apparently get uh aid from the trump white house if uh you are in the military that's that i guess is where the priority is um yeah i mean i think look that this secretary of the navy uh came in after uh the defense department fired the last one for trying to uh punish uh a navy seal who uh had uh committed alleged war crimes received 
uh, clemency from the president. Uh, was convicted, and, uh, convicted of murder. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not of, that's a different one. Okay. Um, oh, there, okay. There, there are several, there are several different uh, alleged or convicted war criminals who got clemency from this white house. And the one that I'm thinking of uh, anyway. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this is, I think a uh, very uh, direct message to uh, other military leaders to keep uh, keep quiet about whatever right. is happening with their uh, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines. Um, and I, I am, I think, uh, quite worried about how that's going to play out. Yeah. So, Matt Addy, rather, uh, the president has clearly shown uh, he doesn't hesitate to step in and. Uh overrule the decision made at the Pentagon if he disagrees with it. He could put this captain back on the job, couldn't he? Of course he could. And he got asked about this um, yesterday at the aforementioned pep rally um, and basically said, oh, it had nothing to do with that. It's it's not a punishment. It's not, you know, but again, we're not idiots. Uh, people can put two and two together. Um, you know, he he absolutely could reinstate him if he really cared, uh, but he doesn't. And and you know, like other people have mentioned, the Trump administration and and Trump himself absolutely punish people who speak out. This is what he wanted. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Uh, let's take a quick break here. We we're joined again today in our uh, roundtable panel by Addy Baird from BuzzFeed, Matt Gertz from Media Matters, and Lauren Burke from Black Press USA, the Bill Press Pod. Quick break. We'll be right back. And our roundtable today is brought to you by the American Federation of Teachers, the good men and women, teachers of America under President Randy Weingarten. Man, they are facing the greatest challenge maybe ever of their teaching career today, not just getting ready to teach uh, America's students in the classroom every day, but now the greater challenge of helping prepare or teaching classes online or helping prepare uh, lesson plans that parents can pick up and take home and then correcting those. It is a whole new challenge for the AFT. They are responding uh, magnificently, all 1.7 million of them. We salute them in these tough times, tougher than ever. Thank them again for their support of the Bill Press Pod. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So uh, here we are with the uh, today's roundtable. Back again, Addie Baer joins us, a congressional reporter for BuzzFeed, Matt Gertz, senior fellow for Media Matters, Lauren Burke, writer for Black Press USA. Now, I hope all of you have uh, called Milwaukee and changed your plans for the Democratic Convention and changed your hotel reservation from July to August. <laughs> um and in the meantime, we have a primary going on next week. The only primary that has not been delayed is uh, April 7 in Wisconsin. Lauren, should they have delayed this one too? How are people going to vote if they can't even go out? Yeah, they're going to have to, and this is once again gets us back to the timing issue of this entire situation and the people just not knowing when this ends and how this ends and how we get back to normal is, of course, impacting everything. I do think it's safe to say that for the convention in Milwaukee that June would be, June and July would likely be impacted by this. But, uh, you know, a, a lot of jurisdictions around the country have May elections. A lot of jurisdictions around the country have people who have to canvas in terms of getting signatures for upcoming elections. Uh, so it throws all of that into, you know, into just chaos. I mean, it is not... It's not top of mind when people are dying, but it is uh, certainly something that has to be figured out. And a lot of state and local governments are having a great deal of difficulty, you know, figuring out how that's going to be handled. Yeah, it makes you wonder, Addie, whether we're ever going to be able to complete the Democratic primary. I have indeed wondered that lately. Um, and, you know, to, to your point about Wisconsin, Florida went forward with their primary a couple weeks ago. And then after the fact had to come out and say that some poll workers had contracted the coronavirus. And so going forward, even if the state can make an argument right now that it is possible for them to vote on April 7th, I would venture to guess that it is going to turn out in a similar way. We're going to find out after the fact that it shouldn't have gone forward, even though I think we know right now it shouldn't go forward. Um, I absolutely can't even begin to fathom how the next few months are going to go and how we're going to finish out the Democratic nominating process because we have no structure for national vote by mail. We have no structure for um, getting through the summer without people gathering in giant groups. So, Matt, people are talking about, as Addie mentioned, and, and Lauren, maybe vote by mail or online or some some ways of dealing with this virus by by expanding the opportunities, I guess, for people to vote, which some people might welcome as uh, good news for democracy. 
not everybody. Here, President Trump this week saying, oh, my God, if they expand these opportunities to vote too far, look what, think what might happen. Here's the president. The things they had in there were crazy. Uh, they had things, uh, levels of voting that if you ever agreed to it, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again. Oh, my God. Yeah, he just said it out loud. Um, I mean, I I think it is difficult to predict what sort of state we're going to be in in November. Uh, But I think it it is. I, I think we should probably be pretty worried at this point about how the general election is going to play out. I mean, let, let's assume that this is a seasonal virus and it somehow dies down over the summer enough to you know, pull off the primaries and the convention and what have you, which I'm frankly pretty skeptical of at least being able mm-hmm. to do a convention in, in person uh, in Wisconsin in, in August. But um, it's going to come back in the fall. That's what uh, Dr. Fauci and the, the other uh, scientists right. keep saying. And so how safe is it going to be to conduct a, a free, fair election in the United States in early November? I don't know. Um, there are steps that we could take to try to uh, you know, allow people to vote uh, through national vote by mail or something like that. But I, I think the president said it all. Republicans don't want to do that because they think that it would uh, diminish their chances of winning and they would prefer to win than to have a free and fair election. That's just, that's, they're, they're saying it out loud. They're, they're quite clear uh, that they care less about whether we can have a democratic process uh, if that uh, infringes on their chances of winning. I, I must say, I agree with you, Matt. I find it very hard to believe that we could go overnight from self-isolation and self-distancing to 10,000 people jammed together on the floor of a convention uh, and and feel com- and people feel comfortable with that and just go back to doing it. I think it's going to take a long time uh, before we're comfortable with that. Meanwhile, um, Lauren, whatever, each of you, whatever happened to Joe? Remember this other guy who was out there, Joe Biden? Well, the way news cycles work is that when something this huge comes along, particularly something historic without much precedent, or, the, or something that uh, doesn't have a precedent for the last hundred years, at least, uh, you know, things become, things are put back in perspective. And it is a life and death news story. Coronavirus, COVID-19 is a life and death news story. So Joe Biden is on the sidelines. The other problem for him was that he really looked as if, you know, he is going to win this thing. So there was no drama with that question anymore. So there's really mm-hmm. nothing making us pay that much attention to him, knowing that in all probability he will be the Democratic nominee. How that happens, of course, we don't know. But, uh, you know, obviously he's trying to get out there and at least talk about what he would do in this crisis. It has been sort of interesting, but he is not the focus. Uh, you know, I mean, these governors are getting more, obviously, more media attention than he is right now because he's not sitting in office and they are having to make critical life and death decisions. So, Eddie, he's probably doing everything he can, but that still doesn't get him a lot of airtime, right? Absolutely. And it's hard for a campaign to really get attention when they can't hold a rally or hold a victory uh, speech or to have to live stream a press conference. It's just not the same. At the same time, um, 
I saw someone tweet the other day and then I laughed at it that they said our, our Democrats locked in a basement somewhere. It's really been interesting that even in this moment, the conversation, the discourse has really been led by the White House, by the Trump administration, by their allies in Congress. And you have Nancy Pelosi, um, top ranking Democrat, uh, out there a little bit. But Democrats are absolutely not leading this conversation, whether it's Joe Biden or other Democratic leaders. And um, I, I think I've made this exact comment on this podcast before, but it's a nut, just another example. Democrats never seem to miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Hmm. But Matt, it, it kind of goes with the territory. At a time of a national crisis, I think you made this point earlier, people look to the White House. And I, as well they should. I mean, the White House bears responsibility for what is happening and has the power to actually do something to save hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of Americans from dying. Uh, Joe Biden doesn't have that right like he can and he can right. message he can talk about what the white house is doing wrong though i think that that in and of itself has uh some uh issues simply because the president is uh so vindictive uh that he might you know sort of ignore out of hand good ideas that would be put forth by uh any democrats um, you know, I think there's sort of a, a secondary point here, uh, which is that uh, the Biden campaign didn't really invest in being able to uh, reach voters directly through live streaming technology in the same way that the Bernie Sanders campaign did. I mean, the Sanders campaign was building yeah. on, you know, the infrastructure that they put together uh, for the 2016 campaign. And then in the uh, years since, even before the campaign started, uh, the Sa Bernie Sanders has a very robust uh, video operation uh, with uh, you know a much higher uh, subscriber rate that he that he's sort of able to use. Uh, Biden campaign is pretty much starting from scratch on that, and so they're they're trying to build an audience now. Right now, they're scrambling to uh, to catch up. Uh, excellent conversation. A lot of territory we covered as much as we could in the time we have. Uh, but we won't let you go until uh, you share with us your favorite story of the week, just something that caught your attention. It could be coronavirus-related or not, serious or not. Uh, Lauren, how about you? Well, a story that caught my attention was this Tara Reid allegation against Joe Biden that she alleges happened in 1993. Um, I certainly am a believer in due process. I'm a believer in proof. I'm a believer in investigation. And I'm not a believer in reporting allegations with no investigation, no proof. And so for that reason, this caught my attention because all the people who, of course, were out uh, uh, opposing Brett Kavanaugh, who uh, were going by the mantra, I believe all women, had really no problem uh, reporting that without really checking what had happened. And now we see in this moment you know, we see some some politics that are, you know, obviously at play. Crystal Ball being a Bernie Sanders supporter and Bernie Sanders supporters wanting this story to get out. We also see, I think, an example of why people say that there is a liberal bias in the media and that this is a this allegation to me is no more or less credible than any other that has been reported without any sort of, you know, evidentiary or investigative process. And so it's been talked about on the Internet and the same people who were 
you know, putting the Kavanaugh allegations out there uh, with regard to Ms. Blasey Ford are now silent. So that has been an interesting discussion to watch as we're all holed up at home looking at Twitter or looking at social media. And uh, we'll see we'll see what happens. But as I said from the beginning, I think due process is always the way to go in terms of no matter who it is and no matter what we're talking about. And uh, we'll see what where the story leads. Uh, and a story that may have gotten more attention uh, were it not for happening right now with the coronavirus um, out, uh, outbreak. Uh, Addie, what caught your eye? Well, my favorite story of the week was um, something published in New York Magazine. Um, I believe the headline was something along the lines of, what is up with Andrew Cuomo's nipples and investigation? <laughs> um, there was a tweet that went viral this week that uh, was a screenshot of one of Andrew Cuomo's press conferences in which it looked very much like underneath his shirt, Andrew Cuomo had pierced nipples. And uh, Olivia Nizzi really dug into this question and investigated it. As only it. Olivia would. <laughs> As only <laughs> Olivia would and could. And um, I will just tell you that the um, the piece is so fun and so funny and a needed um, moment of uh, levity in this crisis. And she talks to Barney Frank about it, um, which is so perfect uh it was yeah, my favorite and, thing i read this week <laughs> and, and uh, well, don't leave us hanging and barney said yes or no so a spokesperson <laughs> for cuomo officially said no um but then cuomo's ex-girlfriend sandra lee posted oh. an instagram story that was like don't body shame blah blah, blah. and as olivia noted no denial in that. Barney Frank talked about how um, it, he, when when many people were talking about his nipples, um, he felt <laughs> like it was in some ways nice because it was proof that there wasn't that much that people could attack him on of substance, he argued. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Olivia said, uh, do you think Andrew Cuomo has pierced nipples? Barney Frank's response was, I'm going to pretend you didn't just ask me that. <laughs> I must say, I will never watch an Andrew Cuomo briefing uh, again the same <laughs> the same way. Uh, Matt, can you uh, top that? <laughs> well, as regular listeners know, my my favorite media conspiracy theory is that operatives from the Democratic Socialists of America uh, are uh, infiltrating the real estate sections of the New York Times and the Wall Street <laughs> yeah. Journal. I love uh, this, and I, I have to tell you, I, I worried that they might go silent given the coronavirus, uh, but they have not. Uh, it turns out. Uh, there are still stories of incredibly rich people doing ludicrous things with their real estate uh, that that can be reported uh, to this day. And so yesterday, the Wall Street Journal uh, put out a piece headlined, they couldn't see the ocean, so this couple demolished their home and built a new one, uh, which discusses how a couple who live in Santa Monica, California, uh, decided to tear down their existing home and build a brand new 7,200 square foot four bedroom house on the site so that they would have uh, ocean views from nearly every room. Completed in 2018, the project cost about $9 million. So good to know uh, some things never change and the revolution is coming. Okay. Well, uh, I was wondering if that was Harry and Megan who built that house in Santa Monica. We don't, we'll find out, right? Um, well, my favorite story, I've been intrigued by um, 
what the coronavirus has shown us about what people are buying uh, products that have suddenly become very, very in, much in demand um, and are hard to get. Of course, we know the toilet paper scam, that everybody did a run on toilet paper. But beyond that, I noticed this week two things that caught my attention. One is there's an absolute run on jigsaw puzzles. Well, that kind of makes sense, right? You, you're at home. You want something to do. That's a good way to spend a, a few hours. I understand that. The one I don't understand is there is a huge run on baby chicks. Right now at Easter time, they are selling out of baby chicks, pet stores, as fast as they can get them in because people are – this is like they're panic buying baby chicks the way they were panic buying toilet paper, retailers say. People say eggs are getting scarce, eggs are getting more expensive, so now's the time. Let's have our own chickens, and we'll get our own eggs. And I just wonder whether people are thinking this through. I mean, chickens grow up, right? They smell. They, you have to feed them. You have to build a pen for them in your backyard. Uh, I don't think people are um, thinking twice. Uh, they should think twice before they go out. And by the way, does anybody else remember the avian flu? I mean, is this the answer for the coronavirus to move into everybody with chickens in a backyard? Uh, I don't think so, but it is happening. And maybe you heard it here first on the uh, Bill Press pod. Thank you, Matt Gertz. Thank you, Eddie Baird. Thank you, Lauren Burke, for joining us today. Uh, and let me leave you with my parting shot which again, my comments only, something we've talked about, about the governors, not necessarily the comments of the members of our panel, but it has been one of the worst kept secrets in Washington that for years now, leadership in this country has not come from the nation's capital, not from a dysfunctional Congress, and certainly not from an ignorant and incompetent president. For years, leadership has come from our nation's governors. California's Jerry Brown led the fight against climate change. Virginia's Terry McAuliffe restored the right to vote for convicted felons. Ohio's John Kasich extended Medicaid to some 500,000 residents of Ohio. But nowhere has leadership of governors been more important or more effective than in today's fight against the coronavirus. Across the nation, governors, Republican and Democrat, have stepped up to the plate. Washington's Jay Inslee was the first to recognize the threat of the virus and declare a state of emergency. Ohio's Mike DeWine was the first to shut down all bars and restaurants. To help flatten the curve, stay-at-home orders have now been issued by governors of some 40 states, including Gina Raimondo of Rhode Island, Larry Hogan of Maryland, Ralph Northam of Virginia, and Gavin Newsom of California. And leading the state-level charge is New York's Andrew Cuomo, whose no-nonsense, fact-based daily briefings are a stark contrast to the daily bullshit spewed by Donald Trump in the White House briefing room. Last Friday, Cuomo urged officials of the New York National Guard, quote, let's kick coronavirus's ass. Well, with the help of the nation's 50 governors, I have no doubt that we will. And that's it for today's podcast. Again, thanks so much to members of our panel for joining us. Thanks to all of you for being with us on today's roundtable. Uh, and we ask you again, it is so important. We really depend on your subscribing to the Bill Press Pod. So go to wherever you're listening to this podcast, pull up the Bill Press Pod and click on subscribe. 
and then tell your friends to do so as well. We thank you for your subscription. Thanks again for joining us. And now, stay safe, practice self-distancing, wear that mask, wash your hands, stay strong, and come back again for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.